to Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to the Baldur's Gate franchise and beyond. We're playing Disco Elysium. This is Disco Elysium Episode 6. I'm Cameron. I'm Danny. Uh, you know, we're, it's Episode 6. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost the holiday time. It's Episode 70. Yeah. I, I was saying those to maybe try to draw some sort of connection or linkage between them. Mm, so mages and murdered ads episode 70 mm-hmm, yeah but the sixth episode of us playing disco elysium mm-hmm. 70 mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. later on years from now you know when we're on mages and murdered ads episode 250 right mm-hmm. when we're celebrating yep. the big you know quarter thousand the big 250 we'll be talking about hey you know, there's so, still some people that are still listening to like our Disco Elysium season, mm-hmm. and and we'll and we'll kind of talk about those people and say, oh, well, you know, some people they could go back into the vaults and listen to the old episodes in the vaults, like our archive, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, Vault seventy six. Oh wow, that's where they would be. This would be a lot easier if you just said uh, at that point we'll be covering <laughs> Fallout seventy six. No. Well, you'll be at, well, I guess do you uh, think that, that you'll show. be do you think on too much future that will coincide? I don't I don't know if that timeline works out. It's it's fiction. You made it up. It can coincide all you want it to be. <laughs> I don't know so, why you're, you're why are you drawing boundaries on what you can make up? No, but like it's if, real if failure of imagination, you ask me. I know, but look, if you I don't know if there's enough fallout between where you are now in Fallout 3 and Vault 76. Mhm. In the scenario I've laid out where we're at 250 on a bi-weekly show, uh-huh. that's that's a lot of episodes between We'll be 70. 76 years old. <laughs> I think that I'm counting on my fingers here. One, two, three, four, five, six, 76. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be about that age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 500 weeks. 200. That's a lot of weeks. Yeah. That's 10 years. <laughs> I don't think there's that many video games to play, honestly. Well... How many We're not episodes? going backward. Let We're me not going to go to this. anything before Baldur's Gate, you know. So <laughs> yeah. we only have the future mm-hmm. to deal with. We're not going to go. We're not going to get. By the time we're at two hundred, we're going to be. Well, we've gone back in time to like muds. Mm-hmm. Eye of the Beholder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gold box games. Mm-hmm. The gold box games. Um. Okay. Well. <sighs> what do we do here? Uh, you know, every time I'm making you do, I've made you tell the future. Now I'm going to make you revisit the past. Okay. I'm going to do it, it a little it, wait, differently. Wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got it coming around. You ready for this? Yeah. It's like I was a ghost that made <laughs> you look at the Christmas past. And now I'm a ghost making you look at the Christmas future. Or that's, the other a, way around. Uh, that's a Scrooged reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. actually, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but this is a Muppet Christmas Carol reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but it lifted so many plot points right out of Scrooged. I don't know how... I don't know how they managed to do that legally. Mm-hmm. You, you remember that time in music where you could just sample everything and it was legal? Uh, it's a very similar situation. You just did, no one, uh, no one drug um, uh, Kermit the Frog in front of Congress <laughs> and uh, made him testify. And so, mm-hmm. because of that, they were the the Muppet Christmas Carol was able to rip everything out of Scrooge. I mean, literally plot point for plot point. It's kind of wild. We uh we were robbed of the moment where Kermit, you know, in front of a microphone was like, well, they're subtly different. You see, one goes dun 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 dun. 
dun 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 and mine goes dun 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 quack dun 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 quack yep very different we were robbed we were robbed of this iconic moment that could have been a little emoji on the range touch discord just like everyone who was robbed of uh you know a, a strong accounting of the similarities and differences between Scrooge, which invented all of these ideas, to be mm-hmm. clear, originated with Scrooge. There's no predecessor text at all. Mm-hmm. Full it, Bill Murray improv half of that movie. We know that. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. Mm-hmm. Is just making that up. And the kind of, I mean, I, I get fired up about it. The kind of artistic, the kind of conceptual, the kind of just brilliant directing, acting, cinematography, sound design, production design, uh, camera lens selection, every top to bottom, Scrooge, Apex film. To have that ripped off by puppets? Unthinkable. Uh, I can't even. I can't handle it. Let's talk about something else. No, it's true. So you know how when we talk about Disco Elysium and we're not recording, it's burning mm-hmm. Pod. Yeah, absolutely. What do you call what we've done for the last five minutes? Also, ironically, burning pot. <laughs> it seems like there should, should be an inverse, right? Nope. Some some nope. kind of it's it's still burning pot. It's just where you do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, well, I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a, another recap, but I'm gonna do it slightly differently because, ironically enough, because last episode we were doing side quest content. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the overall uh, description of what has happened main plot-wise is going to change a little bit, but I'm going to put a spin on it, okay? Okay. You're okay. going to wrap it. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to sing it to the tune of the Brady Bunch. Okay? Uh I'm not going to do that, but I am going to do something different and I think it'll be interesting to talk about. So, this game takes place in Revishall in the year of 51 in the current century. Uh, Revishal is currently in kind of a, 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 a limbo period of coalition international government control, which took over after a communist revolution overthrew the monarchy there. The international moral intern came in and put a stop to the communist government, the short-lived communist government. And so now we live in kind of like this, the, you know, perpetual limbo of international control and and general like uh, kind of bad, bad feelings, kind of bad vibes. Mm-hmm. So there it was a strike that began in the neighborhood area of Martinez, which is where the dock workers worked. And the dock workers started a strike and their main demand was every worker a member of the board. The Wild Pines Corporation that has a major stake in this dock and they they control 8% of all international shipping, they sent a negotiator to stop it. That negotiator failed. They sent a backup negotiator named Joyce. She went it came in. And because of the initial failure, they also sent some muscle down there. They sent some private military contractors who had, you know, been involved in a lot of like war crime type stuff abroad. Um one of those um one of those mercenaries became romantically involved with a woman named Clausia his name was Lely and on a night uh while they were having sex he was shot we do not know who shot him right now we do not know uh why 
but he was shot. And the dock workers kind of like enforcers, the, the Hardy Boys, led by someone we know as Ruby, coordinated a cover-up wherein they kind of uh, staged the corpse and hung him in a tree. So the uh, RCM, the kind of uh, police force under, you know, controlled by this coalition government that has its uh, origins in the in the com- old communist government, it sent a uh, detective named Harry Dubois down to Martinet, and he was tasked with investigating this. Instead of investigating it, he goes on this gigantic bender and has a mental breakdown and uh, loses his memory after staying there multiple days without even getting the corpse down. He wakes up, and this is our protagonist, this is where the game begins, he wakes up and is joined by Kim Kitsuragi and kind of discovers all of the these uh, these things because Harry has lost his memory. And now... We are going to the other side of Martinez in order to uh, in order to locate Ruby, who has fled, and try to find answers and kind of solve this mystery about who shot this mercenary. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't know what's different about it from the other ways we've done it, but it it, it is accurate. I think. Well, it's different because, and I, I I was kind of thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Normally, I begin with oh. You are protagonist, you wake mm, up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then everything you say after that is just stuff you've discovered about the world that happened before you lost your memory. Exactly. So I think that one of the things that I was just kind of thinking about is the fact that most of the stuff that is like, quote unquote, happened in this game hasn't actually happened. It's just us discovering it, right? Yes, um, yeah, a, a lot of this game is figuring out, like, what are the material conditions of the world that you are having to interact in? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, so, like, the big picture material conditions and the uh, the more minutiae of, like, how those larger material conditions have filtered down into the unique events of this mystery, of the murder mystery. Yeah, something I've been saying, you know, that said, uh, I think last episode, maybe the episode before that, too, is that, you know, a, a big part of Disco Elysium to me is like history is always here. You mm-hmm. know, uh, in, in Frederick Jameson's terms, history is what hurts. Right. It's, it's this Ooh, thing that's pushing and that's a sexy and, quote and doing work. Uh, he said it, I think, 40 years ago. Wow. It, it's it, been sitting here for everybody. <laughs> anyone could have had it. <laughs> There's a little bit of resentment in your in your voice. Anyone there. could have discovered it. I can't. I had to go to the quote mines. No, it's a very famous Frederick Jameson quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, people use it regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the more famous Frederick Jameson quote is the "It's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism." That's mm-hmm. the more famous one, and that's mm-hmm. not even actually what he said. It's very different. But second to that is history is what hurts. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's this thing that's pushing and and pulling on everything in the world kind of all the time. And uh, this episode, we, I guess, kind of dealt with some of those things. Um, I think this is an episode where we have pushed things along uh, um, less than we have in the other episodes, perhaps. But I think in interesting ways. Yeah, I think that one of the... I'm going to make a prediction about this episode. We don't script these super heavily. We kind of know ahead of time maybe some bullet points we're going to talk about. But the magic happens in kind of the the in-the-moment improvisational conversation we have. That's why you're listening to this. 
unless you've randomly picked episode 70 to start. Mm-hmm. In which case, this might not be for you. But otherwise, it's for you because you're no, listening. It's, it's for you. Just go back a few episodes uh, to episode one. <laughs> Begin there. Uh-huh. Um, but my prediction is there is a, I feel a different kind of contrast. You um, used the term poverty porn in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and specifically in reference to kind of the the story arc of Kuno that we kind of saw in some ways concluded last episode and it's mm-hmm. weird because i talked to um i talked to uh joyce who has moved her boat in this episode to the kind of the other side of the canal which is very much like the other side of the tracks in martinez mm-hmm. um it, it kind of serves this function as like as bad as the poverty was on the other side there's there's like a, a line drawn she uses the same term she said it's pornographically poor Mm-hmm. like in describing this side so i i want to i'm interested and in, i think we're going to get to like how poverty is depicted here and what its relationship is to both the other side of martinez and just the world at large and what the game is talking about it and whether or not there, it's it has a different quality than say the the storyline with kuno that that you that's the initial kind of uh the introduction you have to this theme in the game and it's it's quite bombastic um and i I wonder if there's going to be a difference in the way it's depicted over here yeah um you know well i can say for this right so we've we've crossed over the canal because you can do that beginning of day three Mm -hmm. day three has started for us um i i you know we slept and had another you know or i had another kind of conversation with my limbic system and with my reptilian brain I would say not as interesting as the last one, um, and Accurate. also I didn't get I didn't get funneled into um, you know having to think about my ex wife that other than these conversations I've never thought about a single time in these games. So mm-hmm. um, you know it, it I think maybe it, it, the game has either picked up some up, up on choices that I've made or it just didn't funnel me. Both mm-hmm. are good, I think. Um, but yeah, so we cross over the canal and, uh, it is, we, we like go and operate the water lock and it just creates like a single person bridge and, uh, you go over there and immediately the, uh, geography is different. Yes. Um, so where Martinez proper is, uh, you know, has a commercial district. It's got the Harbor for it. It's got quite a few people running around. It's got a big road that runs through it. Right. Mm-hmm. All this kind of stuff. It's got art. Um, this side of the, as you were saying, very much this side, you know, the other side of the tracks, um, it is mostly desolate wasteland. Yeah. And uh, and a small fishing village. I mean, there's a couple big buildings, and I guess we can talk about those. I didn't actually investigate those for this episode. But uh, there's some big buildings that pre-exist the war and that people can't get inside of. Yes. And there is a former boardwalk, this kind of fin de sea clay, you know, people would hang out there, boardwalk kind of thing. Um, but for the most part, there's just a very rundown fishing village. Um, and that's kind of where I ended up. I didn't super explore through it, but I will say, and maybe you can tell me how your experience differed here. I will say that the the fishing village to me has, uh, at least in some parts, a vibe of like the noble poor. Mm. So there's a woman that you can talk to. I don't know if I wrote her name down. Uh, I need to look at my 
I think she has the denonym, the washing woman or something yeah, she's, like that. Yeah, she's washerwoman is her name, but she actually tells you her name and I just, I didn't write it down, but mm-hmm. she's an old woman and you talk to her and uh, she's sitting right in the middle of the fishing village and mm-hmm. the fishing village is, you know, um, you know, if you, if you imagine any kind of, you know, extreme poverty situation. So uh, ramshackle shacks got a lot of like tin siding that's being used or tin roofing that's being used for siding um, you know, a lot of images that I think are lifted out of, of uh, you know, images of the global south um, and images, too, of just like extremely uh, impoverished parts of the quote unquote developed world. Right. So uh, we we grew up around a place that had a lot of these kinds of buildings mm-hmm. um, and a lot of these kinds of homes. Um, and, and so but she, you know, kind of, she's basically just an exposition character. She's there to talk to you uh, and let you know, like, what's up with the fishing village? She basically says that the police don't come here very often. The RCM don't show up. The RCM, the last time they were in the fishing village was 12 years ago and someone had murdered someone else and they like came to to get him, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this kind of like weird charitableness to her and she seems to be like 100% fully authentic with you. I do get the sense when I'm talking to her, I think my empathy, um, uh, catches something that she's, uh, maybe not telling me the whole truth. Mm. Um, and then I'm able to dig into that. And then she tells me about this church that's a little bit North of the fishing village and that it's a little bit spooky right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not, she's telling me she, she's not uh, being duplicitous with me about anything. She just kept, kept some stuff back that I was able to get out of her. And then she says, well, you know what? Um, why don't you use my home? I said, cause I said, Hey, is there anywhere for me to stay around here? Um, you know, in a general sense, she says, well, you can use my home and she gives me a key to her home. So there's this kind of, um, I don't know, saccharin is not the right word, but certainly this idea of like the ro- the capital R romantic poor, mm. right? Like these these people who are just eking out an existence in this fishing village and, you know, they're just trying to make their way in the world. Whereas Martinez proper is poor, right? But it is, you know, um, ironically for me, I think, or, or, you know, ironically in relationship to what Messier said about this side, I actually think that something like, the Kuno is pornographically poor um, in the sense that it is exploitatively poor in its mm-hmm. way. Um, whereas this is being represented or being shown or presented as like the noble rural woman, you know, who's hanging out here and, and kind of uh, stiff upper lip, keeping her way through it. The way that the game is talking about the fishing village versus Martinez is not actually how I, as a player experience them. I've experienced them as reversed that the fishing village is in some ways underplaying the uh, exploitativeness of the poverty while still being extremely exploitative while Martinez is also poor, but extremely, um, uh, you know, uh, exploitative of that kind of poverty condition. That's interesting. I got a vibe, you know, I had a similar experience with the conversation with her. Instead of my empathy, there was definitely something about like my composure, like Mm -hmm. sensing in her composure that she was withholding something. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think my overall experience and like talking talking to the people here, including her, is I think one distinction the game is making consciously or unconsciously is that the poverty we see on the west side of the canal is poverty that is easily integrated into like systems of violence um, or systems of power. Um 
and so like the, the there's a more one-to-one connection of the uh, moral intern representative and Kuno there or the way the dock workers function there. Oh, you but, mean, uh, sorry, you mean the east side of the canal? Yes, the east side of the canal. My bad. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. No, it's all good. Um, whereas the west side of the canal, the, the side that we just ventured into, the fishing village, you talk to people there and it is like they are they are so far marginalized that it's mm-hmm. almost like they don't have connections to, you, you know, you talk about the dock workings union as like, yeah, we don't we don't interact with them. That's not mm-hmm. a thing. We very rarely see the police. Whereas you go into Martinet and you start that game right outside the hotel and you see like the graffiti that says, fuck the pigs. Right. Yeah. This is the hinterlands, right? The, of, exactly. Of economy of, you know, quote unquote civilization. Um, you know, this is the, um, uh, 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 it's the margin within the Imperial core. Yes. And it is, it, this is viewed as, it's not to say that these people are not affected by those systems, but it's just from the perspective of those systems, these people are a rounding error. They might as well not exist. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Um, and so there is a different, I think that because of that characterization, because of that, um, that form, everything takes a much more melancholic tenor to it Mm -hmm, here. mm -hmm, Sure. And I also, you know, I was listening to what you said and there, you're a hundred percent right. There's a romantic aspect of like, these are people that are so far outside the system. They, they as humans have become different. And I think the romantic part is like, oh, they're so generous. This is a person that has mm-hmm. nothing, is a rounding error to society, but she's like, hey, I have an extra room. You can you can have it. Because yeah, I am basically independent of the system. And now there comes a point where, you know, narratively, if you're so independent of the system, you basically get to act outside of it. Yeah. Like you don't have the same kind of pressures put on you. It, so there's definitely something going on there. Yeah, these people are insold by not being you know positive or negative by not being attached to global capital they get to have a nobility or an insoldness about them mm-hmm. um that that makes them different i think you're right and and maybe my um you know uh, my hesitation here right something that's important and i think we've talked about it already but something that's important to note here right before i say what i'm about to say is that the the writers of this game come from a very different kind of global condition than we do right i mean mm-hmm. I, we certainly are from an extremely you know <laughs> it, it ranks in the top 100 right but an extremely impoverished part of the united states just mm-hmm. you know that the, that's the the area that we come from and uh, so w- when I encounter narratives of this kind, I am very wary to begin with, right? Because uh, I-, I have seen this rhetoric work out locally in my life, and it's garbage, right? It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's it's nonsense, right? The antenna go up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I-, I get the sense that the the writers who are working on this and the designer as well... Uh, that that they are not just feeding into a narrative that they also have some sort of experience around this. And so I don't want to draw broad generalizations to be like, oh, this is trash and can never work. But I see the fishing village and a lot of the characters in the fishing village as working within some pre-planned narratives 
that the rest of the game seems to be very conscious about working against or configuring or being reflexive about. And mm-hmm. I don't think the fishing village, and, and I've only you know, maybe talked to about half the people in the fishing village at this point. I haven't gone through it as heavily, but the the, the last time I played the game, I did. And uh, it, it sticks to me as the most, you know, um, to, to use the language of, of the game, right? It is the most ideological content in the game, mm. meaning that it ha- it is sneaking in and smuggling in some of... Uh, big assumptions. Big assumptions and arguments, right? About, mm-hmm. you know, what what it means to be poor and in poverty and what it means to be forgotten by capitalism kind of in the periphery that is the core, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the centrality of the imperial core that still produces people who can be forgotten and not thought of or whatever, right? I mean, I'm going to push you real quick. Mm-hmm. Sure. I want you to talk about uh, Imperial Corps because this well, is Majors and Murgadets. I just want to, I just want to get a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, uh, attention to like what that idea is. Well, so there's a guy named Duke Belt, mm-hmm. and no, no. Uh, <laughs> so well, so uh, basically, if you write about capitalism, like after 1970, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the way that you have to to or the way that uh, capitalism begins figuring itself, right? Because uh, as we all know. Uh, uh, capital uh, or capitalism, the the tendency of profit tends to fall, right? Mm -hmm. The rate of profit tends to fall. So it becomes harder to squeeze a dollar out of everything, basically. Okay. And so uh, with the advent of neoliberalism, in a general sense, this is a very quick gloss, with the Mm -hmm. advent of um, the way the market works post-1970s up into uh, the current period, uh, on one hand, we have the development of the service economy uh, in the quote-unquote developed world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the service economy is heavily dependent on manufacturing, whatever, from the global south. You know, mm-hmm. uh, metals production, stuff like mining, things like that. So that that traditional economic capitalism stuff, right? There's commodities somewhere, you are ripping them off, and then you are uh, packaging them to be sold, that's still working. But what has to happen in order to generate more profit within capitalism is that you have to find more and more areas that are quote-unquote solidified, and you have to find efficiencies or untapped markets within that. Mm -hmm. Um, So one way of thinking about this is that um, the, the conditions on the periphery Right. So the conditions in uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo with extractive mining, Mm -hmm. those same extractive mining conditions um, are happening in West Virginia. Right. With mountaintop removal. Um, And so, I mean, obviously different mining strategies, but it's the same basic idea. Right. It's the idea of absolute uh, environmental destruction. Very low wages, although obviously there are uh, the wages in West Virginia, as depressed as they may be, are much higher than they would be in anywhere in the global south. But the idea is that the the imperial core itself, the the place from which the margin is being oppressed or uh, having their commodities or or their their um, resources extracted, right, has to start destabilizing itself in order to s- squeeze more and more money out of the act, like the way things work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, look at literally every single administration that we've had since Ronald Reagan, although it started before that, where key government services are being broken apart and privatized, right? The problem there, I mean, the problem uh, communistically or socially is that those are no longer being subsidized by tax dollars, things like that, right? And that's mm-hmm. the, the large rhetorical question that we're always engaged with, right? 
the you know uh, college isn't free anymore, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. But from the perspective of capitalism, w- the reason that you break free college is not just to get rid of free college and generate profit, although that's a big part of it. The reason that you break free college and the reason that you get rid of state based financing for college is that it proliferates a marketplace and creates lots of different gradients within that market for then more profit to be generated. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, capitalism is defined at this point by taking things that are solids and melting them into their constituent pieces Mm -hmm. and then turning a market or creating a market for each of those little pieces. Yeah. Um, So when I say that, right, like the Kuno is part of a split market. He is the product of neoliberalism. Um, The fishing village is a product of capitalism. Yes. Yeah. That the fishing village has been written off. It is not managed. There's nothing to yes. manage. It was like, written off before neoliberalism existed, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of distinction I wanted to get to. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of different... I, I think that no matter kind of what your background in this, I do think that players that are that are really reading the game, there's a real shift when you get over to the fishing village. And I think that it is a shift that carries over into like the tone of the entire western side of this location of like this game this feels like a two-tone game in some ways or at least like a slightly different frequency and i wonder whether that's or not that's going to persist for the rest of this half of martinez yeah there's something about the uh when this game came out a lot of people said you know you got to push through some bullshit and you get to like some real meat you know some mm. real serious stuff and i and i think i probably said that when it came out and i i, I guess i still think that's true because i think you're right there's a melancholic tone to this western half of the map there's this kind of really grappling with history it's it's a little bit more serious um mm. and some of the goofier conversations you can have on the other side you know near the orlean rags those just, just don't happen anymore right there, there's no gart mm-hmm. you know kind of character there's no gart um, and I, yeah, I, I, similar to you, I don't quite know what to do with that tonally, although I, I'm sure we'll come back to this at the, at the end of the game to kind of evaluate how it happens. But it seems like there's some trade-offs being made and those trade-offs, I think, treat some of the subject matter more seriously, but it also m- makes some of it, I think, you know, gives it this kind of capital R romantic tone of like, oh, the world that was and could have been. Yes, there's a sense that this western half of the map, there are these aspects of it that are frozen in amber, right? That mm-hmm. you can you can you can see how, like a lot of this was in the before times. Um, yeah, I don't know, but so you said, I mean, there aren't that many people in the fishing village, right? No. So there is the washerwoman. Did you take her up on the offer of the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As did I. Did you go in the room? I did. And what did what did you find there? I found mm. something. I just there's a mirror in there. Mm-hmm. That's all that was in there for me. Oh, what did you have? Did oh, you by, like by a... the way, I mean, just let me give you a real real quick thing before you tell me thing. I used my encyclopedia skill. I leveled that up to figure out oh. where the where the expression comes from. Oh, interesting. I used my like uh, physical instrument or something along those lines to get rid of to try to get rid of the expression. Did it work? It did for like a second. It's it's apparently it's, it is gone. I succeeded on it, and he was like, "Oh, you you do do it for like a second, and it's now like apparently slightly attenuated." Hmm. I think my character portrait did change, and I'm like grinning a little less. Well, that's okay. 
Mm-hmm. Where, where did it come from? Uh, it came from there was a disco star in my youth who made this face all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so what's really funny is the encyclopedia, like, you know, mental ability, it can tell you that. And then I get into a conversation with the encyclopedia ability and it's like, well, is this me? Am I? Uh, because the name is uh, Guillaume de Milliam or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Guillaume de Milliam uh, mm-hmm. is the disco star's name. And so basically I'm like, am I Guillaume de Milliam? Like, did I become a cop? And the, exp- and the encyclopedia is like, you don't know. You have no idea. Mm. But so there's this like, uh, and I can, th- it gives me a thought catalog option or a, a thought cabinet. I keep saying thought catalog. Yeah. A, a, a thought cabinet uh, option to like investigate. Am I Guillaume de Million? And Ooh. I don't want to know. So I'm not, oh. not going mm-hmm. down that road. Speaking of disco, did you talk to the smoker in the lobby? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did too. Um, Smoke, smoking guy was just hanging out down there. I talked to him and I asked him about himself and I got like a, and I got like really interested in like who this person was. And so I just like, I like leaned into him and was like, Hey, you aren't, you wouldn't happen to be a member of the, um, like the hidden homosexual agenda. And then he got really interested and he mm-hmm. said, Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you, are you, what do you want to investigate me? And I said, yeah, what's it about? And so he basically he's smiling the whole time and he's and he's like he's 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 definitely like playing along and he's like, oh, yeah, we're trying to destroy the family. We're trying to like see. So he like he basically like in this deep sarcasm talks about all of these uh, ideas for the last God 50 plus years in kind of American politics about this hidden agenda behind sexual orientation and an attempt to like basically subvert and destroy traditional culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is a moment where, where I was like, well, can I join? And he's like, no, you, you, you're either in it or you're not. And he's, and I, and I said, well, does it have anything to do with disco? And he said, oh yeah, disco is a big part of it. (laughs) Disco is like a big part of it. We're trying to, we're trying to turn everything into gold and everything into razzmatazz. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I have lost my memory and all I know is I love disco. So is, are you sure? Could it be possible that I am a member of the hidden homosexual agenda? Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't, you know what? It's entirely possible. You're the exact, you know, you would be like a prime candidate, right? Given what you've said, you've, you've got a confused look on your face. It may, it may well be. And so then my only two options are, wow, I just really need to think about this. And then the second option was, I'm going to need time to think about this. Exactly 24 hours. <laughs> so now I am internal, trying to internalize something in my thought cabinet of the hidden homosexual agenda. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. To, <laughs> I, don't, I is, don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Do you feel like this is, and this is something we thought we've talked about with some of the thought cabinets. We we've talked on like off recording after one episode where you you pointed out some of the text that you read on the Wikipedia. You're like, I would not feel comfortable even reading this thought cab this thought on the podcast because it was offensive. Yeah, there are a couple that are that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
do you feel like is it just one of those things is like oh we'll have to see what the conclusion of the thought is in order to like determine what you do with it well i mean what's interesting i guess to me is that this is this entire scenario that you laid out is is um really it seems predicated on being able to make this joke about the homosexual agenda yes right and that it might be that you are so credulous, right? That you're like, it's, it's the real agenda. Tell me about it. Exactly. And then this this other character gets to kind of smirkingly be like, yeah, okay, um, and playing you along. And and I guess the the, um, I mean, this is a big question for the whole game: is that is getting the joke, which I guess is a good joke. I mean, it's a funny joke. Um, is about like a completely clueless, yeah. uh, you know, disco loving, forty uh, four year old cop. Like having absolutely no knowledge about, yeah, it, mm-hmm. and and this other person being able to like kind of ironically play along, it you know in this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so but but is entertain? I mean, sorry, is giving a platform to all of these like right wing talking points, which is the I think you've mentioned it in an earlier podcast. This is like the cultural Marxism. Thing, yeah, I believe you use that term. Very, very similar, right? Mm-hmm. To, to the way that like all those cultural Marxism talking points show up. Mm-hmm. Um, is it is it worth it to get to the joke? And also, I think that the question is like, there is a. It seems like a large amount of the humor is predicated on this idea of well, nobody really believes this nonsense. But I think that when you open a web browser and you look at the news. The answer to me seems yes. People believe this. Well, yeah, which, but which it, like <laughs> none of uh, the the difference is not. I don't think it's no one really believes this. I think it's none of us believe this. Mm. Right, where us is like an implied uh, connection between developer and player. Mm-hmm. Because I don't believe that, and you don't believe that. Seems like it's working like gangbusters to me. Ho ho ho. Mm, I don't know. Disco Elysium sold a lot of copies, didn't it? It was it did. like it did. game of the year conversations about it. Yeah, and it won, uh, you know, an award at the Game Awards. You know, which is a very main, probably the most mainstream, uh, you know, game thing that you can do. But on the other side, right there, there was a lot of like you know internet dunking on people who wrote negative reviews uh, on Steam around these issues, right? Oh, like oh, uh, Disco Elysium's too political. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, and so people like took a lot of, uh, um, uh, pride in that, I think, which mm-hmm. is not, you know, I, I in, in none of this conversation is to be like, oh, this is, you know, this is acceptable or un- unacceptable in the game. But really, I think what the question you're asking initially is what are the trade-offs here? Right? Yeah. Like, you know, what, what does getting, what does putting this in the game buy you and what does it not? And I don't know. I think we have to like find out at the end of your 24 hour thinking period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what does it buy us i mean it's the same way that i'm playing this whole game right what does this buy me versus what you know what does it afford what kind of thoughts does it give me as a player what kind of of access to this game does it uh generate um and you know to be honest like the racist fascist stuff doesn't seem to change the game all that much uh, in mm-hmm. positive or negative ways i don't feel like i am uh, punished for it all that much and i don't feel that i am rewarded for it um so currently it seems to be saying basically nothing <laughs> about those mm-hmm, ideas mm-hmm. and i wonder um you know if your um homosexual agenda thoughts 
will it are going to have the same kind of dynamic play out yeah so i will say like you know uh this is uh, i needed to put this somewhere so let's put it here uh i went through the trash can i did need kim with me went through the dumpster Mm. Um, i needed kim to suggest to me that that someone helped me unlock it and um nothing different from what you talked about on the episode right because mm-hmm. the history of this character is the same however i did have the opportunity to pick out a uh, racist coffee mug or racist mug i guess it's not a coffee mug mm-hmm. racist mug uh from um uh, you know that's similar to the mugs that are from that apartment that we opened yes and i'm able to investigate it um or interact with it in my inventory and i did that and the game says, basically, what kind of relationship would you like to have with this object? And I get a few ones like, oh, I want to throw it away and not think about it. One is I want to wave it in the face of all of the um, uh, uh, like marketplace owners to show them like what the commodity culture does. Um, and there's mm. a couple other ones. But the last one, um, which is, you know, the more I think the most racist option or probably the only racist option that was there was i don't know what the big fuss is about it's just a mug it's funny Mm. which i repeatedly i get to talk about with these mugs they're just funny i don't know what your problem is and they all have like racial caricatures on them yeah um and i took a morale point of damage for it and the game told me i wrote down the um wrote it down i was able it said to me an antique because i said it's just a funny antique i don't know what the problem is and the game says, you know, the kind of voice of the game says, an antique only in its social sensibility. And I took a point of morale damage. Hmm. So, you know, it seemed... That is the most direct the game has ever just, like, slapped your wrist. Exactly. And I don't know if I took that morale damage because the game interprets that as nationalist, and so I'm taking it from the thought cabinet. Hmm. Or uh, if I just took a morale damage because that's a part of it. I guess I could look that up and figure mm-hmm. it out. But, uh, but yeah. So anyway, I did that and, and I don't even have the, uh, manipulability or whatever, the motoric skill to open up my, um, the, <laughs> your clipboard, my clipboard. So the issues you had with that, I, I do, did not have an opportunity to deal with perhaps later in gotcha. the game, I'll be able to do that. Um, but anyway, that was a long, uh, you know, little, little side road we went because of you mentioned disco, but yeah, so you didn't discover, you came in, you looked at the expression on the, on the thing. You didn't find anything else in your little new apartment. No, I didn't. There's a loose floorboard. I did not see that. There's a loose floorboard with a nine millimeter bullet wrapped in paper under there. And I asked the woman, the owner, um, the, the woman who's hosting me, the washerwoman, Mm Mm-hmm. And she admits, oh yeah, Ruby was here. Mm. She was she was here. She checked in uh on like Friday or Saturday, and she checked out Monday, like on, on our day one. Mm, so um, she's a few days ahead of us. Yeah, she's a few days ahead of us. So we were we we just missed her here and we and and I have the opportunity, like my mind my, my mind's like that bullet was for her. Hmm. that that bullet, this was like a suicide um, contingency. And I have the opportunity to tell the washerwoman that, but I like avoid it. I don't tell her. I'm like, "Mm, I'm not going to tell you what I think about uh, this particular thing. Mm -hmm. She has no idea 
where Ruby went. She said probably just deeper up into the peninsula, mm-hmm. like somewhere, you know, somewhere else further inland or whatever, further outland, however you want to frame it. Um, uh, coastwise. Coastwise, <laughs> yes. Further up the coast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she says, but Ruby was really nice. She actually repaired the, uh, the heater in there. Oh. She's very, like, handy with mechanics and whatnot. Um, and that otherwise Ruby was really nice, kind of knew how to talk to me, which a lot of people don't bother to do. Hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't find that. I, um... Which is really interesting, because it was just high, it was highlighted when I did, when I just looked through the apartment. Or, I hit the button, I didn't see, I mean, maybe I just missed it. I'll, I'll be on the lookout for it. It also might just, I, it, this is, raises an interesting question that wasn't really, because like in Baldur's Gate, when you spot something, you get like this check Mm -hmm. in the dialogue window right Mm -hmm. and i wonder there if there is just a hidden perception check that happens in terms of what gets you know highlighted and what doesn't based on your perception score i don't think so Mm. but there are things that are not interactable unless you have uh, you know um uh, information so for example this is a small thing i did that that this is another good place to put it i went and looked for clausia's um buoy that she told me about, you know, that has her passport and everything in it that was hidden. Yeah. I went and looked for it, and I couldn't click on it until I until I clicked the little, like, dot thing, you know, the little um, skill dot that appeared over my head. Yes, yes. That said, hey, that's Colossus Bowie, and then I could click on it. And so maybe it's the kind of thing where, where I had to know to look for it or something, and maybe you got that passively somewhere mm. um, else in the game. Unfortunately, so I opened up Clausius Bowie and there was just nothing in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so there's all these like options. It's like, well, maybe she came and got it, but I know I'm I'm assuming that's impossible, right? Because she was arrested and taken immediately to the precinct. Uh, yeah. Her enemies might have gotten it, and that's true. It's been 24 hours since uh, she was arrested. And you you told on her, and I told on her, yeah, Mul- in multiple mm-hmm. ways, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so yeah, I don't know, uh, but but oh, no passport there. Just just following up on that. Um, did you talk to the net picker? Nope, I did not. Didn't talk to the net picker. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you talk? Did you see Joyce over here on the dock? No, I did not. Mm. Uh, who else did you talk to in the fishing village? Well, I didn't really do that much in the fishing village, but I did find a big car stuck in the ice. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you walk yeah. over this water lock, you can see these tire tracks kind of going everywhere, mm-hmm. and then you can see that there's a car that is like. In the ice, and it's not mm-hmm. iced in yet, so that you know the ice hasn't formed around it, but it has crashed through into the bay basically. Mm-hmm. And over a certain amount of time, it will ice in. And uh, so basically, I walked up to it, and there was a can of gasoline, and I took that, and put it in my inventory. And there, uh, and, and basically, I was able to talk to Kim and be like, dang, someone really like went wild here, huh? <laughs> And he was like, yeah, it seems bad. And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, well, what should we do? You know, should we investigate? And he was like, yeah, we can do that. But we can't even really see any markings on this thing. So uh, we'll have to wait for low tide. That's right. And so, and it's important to note here that Kim's tone throughout this entire little arc betrays that he knows exactly what happened here. Do you think so? Yeah. That's what that's that's what I got. So you you sit down on like a little swinging, mm-hmm. uh, a little you know swing, and you gotta wait like two hours or something. Gotta wait two hours every thirty minutes. The game kind of interjects and like you get to say something to Kim. 
Um, I made a red whistle check, which I'm really happy about. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Kim Kim joined in on the whistling. Um, and otherwise, I just make inane conversation. Like, what would you rather have happen to you? Get get like doused. You'd like have to go into a bunch of water with leeches or sit on a fire ant hill. <laughs> That's really funny. I wonder if those dialogue options are dependent on the other things you've talked about in the game or like your your composition as a character. I think it might. Uh, mine were just able to talk to, I monologued at Kim about race for three hours <laughs> oh or two God. hours or whatever. The first one, I mean, they're, they're all messed up. Horrific. Yeah, they're all horrific. The first one I asked him about like his parentage and if, her, if their eyes look the same as his. Um, I found out his ethnicity, by the way. It is, um, uh, shit. Where is it on here? Um, Seol- Does it start with an S? Soulite. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's which is the same uh, caricature as is presented in the mug that you found, mm-hmm. if I recall. Yeah. Well, it doesn't call it that. It calls it by like the racial, uh, the slur name, basically. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, mm-hmm. basically same idea. But yeah, and uh, so yeah, I just monologue at him. I, I'm like explaining, um like the epidermal theory of race to him. And he's like, well, actually that's not how melanin works. He's like, this is how melanin. So the the whole thing has this uh, tenor of me just like spouting off whatever my thoughts are. And then Kim very patiently explaining these things to me. And, but then the fact that it keeps going on suggests that none of this is being absorbed. Mm. Kim, Kim's answer to my, uh, Ant Hill versus Eel Leech thing was like, well, there was a time when leeches were used in medicine. Mm. So probably that would be better than fire ants. <laughs> yeah, that, that would definitely be better than fire ants. Yeah. Like, no question. Um, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we, we wait for it to go. And uh, the kind of thing that took me out of the uh, swing conversation is that you can look at. <laughs> the number on the side of the the identifying markers on the side of the vehicle as the water is going down and it's like a four one mm-hmm. and there's all these different options to be like four what one. do you think that was oh it could it be the 40 40 41st level of like illegal car smuggler <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and like there's an idea that it's like a misprint of the the car model uh and but very quickly i figure out like oh it's 41st precinct <laughs> Yeah, when uh, when you this is the reason why I think Kim knows because ex- Kim's knows cars, yes. and Kim I think that in the in the game fiction would easily be able to look at that car and know oh that's that's a police car yeah, um, and when you notice the number Kim's like you haven't been noticing that for like the last hour like just there, um, so yeah Kim just basically sits here and patiently waits until you come to the realization that. You crashed your car into the ice. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's where your vehicle is, unfortunately. <laughs> yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're able to look through through the the cab, basically. There's two things in there. One is uh, uh, the, it's, it's, I think it's the inspector's coat. So, I've mm-hmm. been wearing my, like, patrolman's coat, and that's not the right coat. I have like a, yeah, a higher you're, level. You're coat. a rank higher, yeah. Yeah, and so I put that on, which is great. Oh, I, there's actually a little shack over here too, somewhere that where you can find a bow tie that gives you plus two drama. Got, mm-hmm. I have that on now. 
Oh, that's nice. And um, and but I wonder whether or not the, I don't think that the horrible necktie is going to talk to you anymore. It never talked to me. I mean, I've not been wearing the horrible necktie this whole time. Oh, I don't want that. It's thing. just been on the. It's just been on the fan the whole time. Yeah. Damn. I don't need that. It's gar. These clothes that I am wearing are garbage, and I know that. <laughs> I'm not a disco. Okay. Guy. I'm a real cop. <laughs> I'm trying to mm-hmm. find my real clothes. Um, but uh, so we so uh. That and then the badge, which you can interact with and kind of learn a little bit about yourself. What, what did you learn about gotcha. yourself? Well, I am a Lieutenant Double Yennefer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you've, you, I have, I have uh, interacted with uh, the Witcher's primary love interest yep. twice. Two times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's, and each time you wake up naked on like a, on a, on the side of a lake mm-hmm. and nobody's around yep. and like the whole picnic that you thought you were having didn't exist. That might not be Yennefer. That might be somebody else. No, that's the same. Is that the same? No, that's okay. actually somewhat different. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. It's been a while. But yeah, and like Kim explains that to you. It's basically that uh, this distinction means that you've had the opportunity to go up for, you've been promoted two times. But either you didn't actually want the promotion or there wasn't a slot for you to fill. And so you just get a superlative on the end of your name to say, and I think you should be higher, but you're not. Yeah, the heavy implication here is that you probably, Lieutenant is the highest rank where you're still doing field work. Yes. And I think that the implication is you were this case closing machine that could never give up being out in the field you know, solving cases. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why you declined the, uh, the, the two promotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, one more confirmation that your name is Harrier Dubois, yeah. um, which apparently was a name, uh, that was popular in the waning years of the revolution and, and the communist government. That's kind of like a war name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Spike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rex. like Spike. Rex. B- broadside or something. They, they have a couple others in there. But the, um, um, Did you accept that? Because you can choose I did to accept not accept your name. I accepted Harry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, did you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm fine with that. Well, you've just been so um, resistant to it so far. Yeah. Although I found out another name here. Is that kind of the end of just getting your badge? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, you can like learn a lot of information about the, the, <laughs> the working of the RCM here. But yeah, basically. Yeah. I, um, I learned even more about the RCM. I got a reality lowdown from Joyce. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I had to smoke some cigarettes. I had to do some speed to get my empathy up, to, like, get her to, uh, and change my clothes to, like, get a reality lowdown from her, which, um, if you recall, was, uh, was something, I believe, uh, the cryptozoologist's wife told me, yeah, you're gonna have to talk to a rich person mm-hmm. about the way the world works. Yeah. And she gives me a lore dump on the RCM. And it more or less just fills in the little cracks of what, of like how the RCM is perceived by the coalition government, etc. But in the, 
early days after the revolution was put down, after the revolutionary government was put down, Mm -hmm. the RCM kind of on its own imposed an order to places in Revachol where order was very hard to come by. And it was truly an independent organization. And Joyce says, and that's one of the reasons why, that's one of the reasons why the coalition kind of like, part of it hates the RCM because it it kind of represents the people of Revachal's ability to govern themselves in some way. Mm. Um, and what else does she say? There's a lot of opportunities for me to kind of express a political opinion about like my like global capital's role in the world and the RCM's role within that. And I pass on it, and and basically, if you pass, and this really in, kind of illuminates the discussion we were having last episode about like what the political valence of these various factions in the game are, and she's like, that's very moralist of you, um, <laughs> of like the idea of like, hey, I'm I'm not let let's not get political. Mm-hmm. So this kind of willful avoidance of a struggle over power is is like characterized as as moralist um and oh gosh what else so there were just like little bips and bobs about like the time after the revolution the rcm's role um and kind of the coalitions there are these various acts that were put in place and actually joyce is very for an ultra liberal right uh for kind of like this complete you know advocate of naked capitalism she's she's very um forthcoming about like what revachal is now and she she just literally says yeah all these factors you know we passed these three acts there's like the emergency act and like there were these three acts and she says and it's basically now just a complete um container of uh of vulture-esque laissez-faire capitalism now and and like everyone everybody's just got their hand in the pot and they're just extracting as much wealth from this location as possible Mm -hmm. and uh your your role is you're the ones that keep the peace while this happens jeez yeah she's just completely there's no mass there's no um and i think the context for this conversation is she's on the dock she's like a little ill at ease because there's a fisherwoman on the dock like someone who who goes out and nets fish that i talk to later who just has a sword and this and this and this woman like corrects uh joyce when she's like oh thanks for letting me docking here and she's like actually this is a jetty it's not a dock and joyce is like oh yeah thank you it's a jetty that's right but anyway yeah joyce is just completely transparent about what revachol is yeah. which is just this it is it is a it is a corpse that the the coalition government is like pecking at and getting the last bits of morsels from. Um, and I think that that's kind of interesting because it does it does put a a spin on the idea you were talking about the imperialist core because it's not quite an imperialist core, but this is like a very unique historical circumstance that Revachol finds itself in. Well, I mean, maybe in the fiction of the thing, but not in the real world. Yeah, yeah, in the fiction of the thing, I mean. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's the thing, right? Is that this is just a, 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 the game works allegorically with the real world. I mean, gosh, it's trying very hard in lots of places to make that very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of it's just to say that, like, this is uh, lots of, uh, Revachal is lots of places on the planet. 
yeah. you know, lots of places that have, uh, and lots of places in the United States that have, um, uh, you know, kind of across the back half of the 20th century and into the early 21st century turned into places not of production, but of extraction. Mm -hmm. And that is happening because of the shape of capitalism itself, that, that at the end of the day, there is no place. Capitalism cannot have a place that is pure absorption because ultimately pure absorption will not uh, equal out the, the numbers. You know, yeah. you, uh, eventually the places that absorb have to produce and that production is in raw accumulation. Mm -hmm. So Detroit becomes somewhere where you can buy a house for cheap, right? It, it becomes a place for uh, resource allocation, right? Where money grows money um in in you know the 2010s on a long enough timeline the comp the compost tumbler you buy it itself will rot it can never be <laughs> pure tumbler forever i mean eventually <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> correct um yeah so it, it was it was a very intra and i got a reality lowdown from joyce mm -hmm. she 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 set me straight so I, I have kind of figured out my role in the world and it is a it is a pessimistic one because I, as like an apolitical rock star, pure hedonism, I have no interest in like the inner workings of the world. And I just know that I am a cop, but I'm I'm also the first superstar cop. Like in in avoiding any kind of uh, attachment to like a grander philosophical or ideological position, I have basically admitted, yeah, my, my job is to keep the peace while the vultures strip the rest, you know, while, while the rest of the copper wiring gets stripped. Oof. This is my, this is my, this is my role. Um, and I think that, and here, and this is what I wonder about this conversation. And I doubt that you're going to have it because of like the way that this quest ended up happening. Mm -hmm. But I, here's the thing. If you're like hyper communist cop, which is a thing you can be. Mm-hmm in the game like i don't know if in this conversation you end up squaring it's like okay you're a communist cop but you're still that the role of the rcm is that you are still keeping the peace while the coalition does this well i'm the big communism builder i'm building communism i i don't know let me mm -hmm. let me have the conversation and then we'll figure that out yeah we'll see I, the thing is i think you do have to get the reality lowdown quest so you might have to talk to morals uh wife um I, unfortunately i believe that due to what i know about this game i will have to talk to her no matter what so mm -hmm, there you go um i i think that i'm gonna get led down that path mm -hmm. um other little random stuff that happened here uh when when uh i talked to gert about the um about getting the dumpster keys he was like well why do you need to do that it, it, well i actually i said why do you lock it and he's like well because people will pick through it if i don't and then I, because I'm the big communism builder, I had the ability to be like, wait a minute, you're guarding even your trash from the poor? And he was like, yeah, we are. What are you, Kras Mazov? And I was able to turn to Kim and be like, am I Kras Mazov? <laughs> <laughs> Is that me? Um, unfortunately, I didn't get like a thought that I could internalize or anything like that. But uh, it was it was a little funny thing that happened. Uh, I was able to, so I, I don't know if I said this the last time, but uh, the first day, right, I mm -hmm. I did say this on the show. I looked at the, the bottom of the ceramic boot of the hanging man and got the serial number off of it. That's right. And I called it in. So 
uh, so that was day one. Day two of mm-hmm. the game, I'm able to call back in and talk to my operator. And she says, hey, you know what? I've We didn't get anything locally, but I've kicked it up basically to the next level. And we're still waiting to hear. I'll let you know as soon as I know. Call me back tomorrow. And so today is day three. So I was able to call back. And uh, she was able to do it. She was able to figure it out. Um, I got the name of Laylee. His name is not Laylee. Because, uh, I mean, we knew that. You know, it was a, a nom de guerre. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Ellis Cortner. Um, he was he was found as a child uh, in a leaf compactor. Wow. Which is very weird. And was put in an orphanage and then adopted. And then when he was 17, joined the military. And then right before the Seminese War broke out uh, between... Uh, Semania, I don't know, uh, wherever the Semenese are from, uh, between that country and Oranje, um, right before that war started, he left the the army and joined a PMC, basically. Mm. Basically to make more money doing war. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's where the armor kind of meets him. Mm Mm-hmm. Whoa, so like just slow and steady government bureaucracy mm-hmm. getting this information yeah. over the course of a couple days. Yeah, so we got his real name now, which which probably is helpful. Um, in the lobby, I met uh, someone named the Horse-Faced Woman, which is mm. pretty pretty unfortunate descriptor, and then Man with Sunglasses. And they had RCM outfits on, and I kind of tried to talk to them, and they seemed very frustrated with me, but didn't have much to say. Oh, interesting. I met those people, but I thought they were animal control. No, they had, uh, I think I had a logic or a visual calculus or something. I I had that too, and I failed it, and I was like, yeah, it looks like animal control. <laughs> um, so I don't know why animal control is upset at me, but, you know, I, I, I said, so you guys deal with dangerous animals? And the man in sunglasses said, you could say I'm dealing with one right now. Dang. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Um, I'm trying to look and see. I know I had another couple things here, uh, but maybe not. Oh, I found my pants. Oh, where were your pants? They're like in a barrel <laughs> near your, uh, near your car. Um, oh, that's interesting. They're called like very normal pants or something like that, but they, they're brown. They pretty clearly go with the rest of your outfit. So I'm assuming they're my pants. Um, I found some pants with like a fake stat on them. Uh, uh, yeah, the normal pants or whatever. I think yeah, but with a fake, it, it's like a pious stat. It, it like a church of plus one to church of morality or something or kingdom of conscience. Kingdom of conscience, it's not a fake stat. So kingdom of conscience is one of the political alignments that you can have in this game. It's like the name um, for it, you know, in the way that like communism is not just called communism, right? It's got its own name. Kingdom of Conscience is the moralist perspective. So you, ah, I see. So yeah, so you would have to make, I'm assuming, some more moralisty kind of choices in order to trigger that, uh, and these pants would help you along the way. But I'm 99% sure that these pants are your act, you know, your police pants. Oh, so these are one in the same pants, right? I believe so, yeah. Mm. I, I mean, these are the same pants, but I am saying I believe these are your real pants. Because if you put those pants on, with your uh, with like a white shirt and your jacket on that looks like you know a real outfit mm-hmm okay aesthetically but who knows I don't actually know I, I have not found anything that says my pants yet to be fair mm. I got a little bit more 
story about what happened the first couple days I was in Martinez by talking to one other person in the in the fishing village. Mm-hmm. I there there's a group of three um three people st- sitting around a fire and they're and they're all kind of drinking. And one of them is named quote idiot doom spiral unquote. And he addresses you by the name uh, Tequila Sunset. He like says, "Oh, hey, mm-hmm. hey, Tequila, how's it going?" Um, and he has he has a backstory that is that is um intimated by his name. He he went into into a doom spiral. He was a very successful. I had to give him some alcohol to get this story out of him, but he was like a very successful founder slash junior partner at a high concept creative services agency named the boom boom room mm-hmm. and after securing a contract with i think an insurance firm he financed a cultural incubator and then he took on a leadership role supervising 22 employees who he says were historically talented <laughs> but one day so he picked up jogging because he got really stressed and one day um he he took his keys off of his key ring because they were like irritating him somehow, but he lost them. So he lost the gate to his apartment and his mail and his office. Um, and basically long story short, he could not get back into his building because he had like gotten muddy and his tracksuit had gotten muddy. Mm-hmm. And he just became homeless after that. Yeah. Cause like no one would look at him and, and recognize him. Right. Correct. Yeah. So he basically lost everything. He had this very uh, PMC-esque, you know, joke of a job that the, that the game spends a lot of writing, like, emphasizing. And just due to a dumb mistake of losing his keys, all of this happened. His uh, girlfriend slash partner, like, separates from him because because he is now homeless. And that's just been his life ever since. Um. So yeah, I, uh, I I agree to try to find his jacket, and he tells me that he found me by um, he saw first saw me when I careened my car off of the dock and like crawled out of it covered in kelp and then screaming the time hath come, <laughs> and then we drank for like two days straight, mm. and eventually I I started talking about my ex and how I had been screwed over, and then left. Uh, it's, uh, it explains all those bottles that are right beside the car. Yes. Yes. All the bottles beside the car, all the bottles everywhere. So yeah, I, apparently this was kind of the first step on my, on my big, uh, alcohol bender as it were. So anyway, that's what I got out of, out of this character. Hmm. So a little bit sillier than kind of the melancholy of, of the rest of the area, I think. Yes. We'll learn more about that next episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think that's um, it. That That's kind of like our little introduction into uh, into this next area. We're going to see if we can see if we can explore a little bit more of this area because there's actually quite a lot of stuff here. I mean, basically half the game. And this is a little Act 2-esque, I think, when the, when the other half of the island opens. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever. Well, I mean, that's, All right. that's the kind of thing is like, you know, it's, 
it feels that way in some ways, but kind of not real. I, I I don't know. I, I, it'll be curious at the end of the game to kind of talk about wh- how we think this game structurally breaks down. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if it breaks down into acts super well, and if it does, then like, what are the major events? Mm. Um, I don't know. It's structurally, structurally, especially as we get to kind of the this is certainly the second half of the game, right? I mean, we're, we we yeah. are on the the other end. Uh, there's not that much more game left. I mean, there's there's some, but not that much. Um, I think we're further than fifty percent. Um, I I just don't know, like, you know, the, the way to really describe the the rising and falling action as it were i think that what we might end up looking at is there is a stage in the game where we were where we're figuring out what happened before we started playing the game mm-hmm. and then there is an event that we have yet to reach where something happens yeah that's true so it may, it may be that we're we're not quite to that event which might correspond with like act three i guess yeah um but yeah hmm. Who knows? Well, uh, any anything you want to leave the viewer listener with before we sign off and 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 maybe record or not record a monthly podcast? Uh, go to patreon.com if you want to support the show, if you enjoy listening to it. If you want to listen to this as a podcast rather than watching it on YouTube, uh, you can go down to the description below and there's a link to do that. You can go to rangetouch.com to find all the other shows that we do. The rcm are coming for me this very moment so i'm going to uh, leave off on this recording but thanks so much for listening hit that like button if you enjoyed listening to the show hit the dislike button if you didn't enjoy listening to the show and uh hit subscribe if you haven't already Uh, thanks so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time ciao